as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. I want to share with you for a few moments just a simple message entitled Enduring to the End. Father, glorify your name in your word. And may we draw strength from it for the days that lie ahead. For Lord, the days that we are living in right now, many of your servants today are experiencing hardship. But may they leave here knowing that your grace is sufficient. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said amen and amen. One more time, would you give God all the praise and all the glory in his house here this morning? Amen. You could do better than that. Give God the praise. Bless the Lord. Before you're seated, you know what to do. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you love him. In Jesus' name. It's hard to believe, but it is estimated that currently, 2019, around the globe, 245 million Christians are experiencing intense high levels of persecution. One out of every nine believers globally are being persecuted. 4,136 Christians have been murdered this year. 2,625 have been imprisoned this year. Every month this year, 105 churches have been attacked, vandalized, or burned to the ground. And every day this year, on average, 11 Christians have been murdered for their faith in Jesus Christ. Staggering. Every once in a while, it's very important for us to remember this. Every once in a while, it's good for us to be reminded that while we're enjoying our religious freedoms, that we have multiplied millions of brothers and sisters in this faith who are being persecuted on intense and high levels of persecution. It's staggering. Even as we read our text this morning, it's important to be reminded that they were written by the Apostle Paul, who at the time of this writing was in a Roman prison cell, sitting in filth and foul, surrounded by the vilest criminals of his day, awaiting his martyrdom for his faith in Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior, and that he's writing this letter to his young spiritual son, Timothy, who at that time was timid about using the gifts that the Holy Spirit had given to him at his commissioning and, the, and to preach the word of God that God had given him for the city of Ephesus. Because he knew that in exercising those gifts and sharing the message that the Lord had placed upon him, his heart could trigger an investigation by Roman authorities that might, in fact, lead to his arrest that might turn to charges being formally set against him that could lead to a trial and ultimately to a sentence of death. I don't share these stories with you this morning to shame you or to make you feel guilty for not experiencing the same trials and testings that those of 2,000 years ago did or even those of 2019 are, but to remind you that from the very beginning of worship, from the very first moment that men and women began to worship God, when Abel was persecuted by his own brother for offering to God the proper and required sacrifice, to John's imprisonment on the prison island of Patmos for the testimony of Jesus Christ, and continuing on through to this present day, as we just heard a moment ago, believers in every generation have endured hardship as a direct result of their unwavering faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
In fact, suffering and enduring hardship as believers is so frequently treated in Scripture as the normal experience for the Christian that the Apostle Peter in his letter said, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Think about that. In Paul's mind, it would only be strange for you not to experience hardship as a believer. That what was normal for those who lived full on for Christ was to endure hardship and various forms and intensities of persecution. You see, Peter had heard Jesus say, the servant is not above his master. If they hated me, they certainly are going to hate you. And so for Peter, he just understood that the normal experience for believers is that they would have hardships to deal with and that it would only be strange if you didn't. That's why Paul said that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's also why he said here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 3, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ because what other option was there? You either endure and you obtain eternal life or you fall away from Christ and are lost for all of eternity. But as believers, we have to learn how to endure hardship of all kinds. And how are we going to endure? He tells us right there in verse number one. Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't always get this technical, especially on Sunday morning. But as I was studying this the other day, I discovered that this statement is what they call a passive imperative. And what it simply means is that when Paul said to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, he was saying, don't be strong in yourself. He wasn't saying, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, Timothy. Grin and bear it. He wasn't saying to him, you need to snarl a little bit. You need to grit your teeth. You need to suck it up. He wasn't saying that. He was saying as an imperative to him, don't be strong in yourself, but instead be strong exclusively in the grace of God Almighty through Jesus Christ. What he was saying is, Timothy, you and I are not strong enough to endure what's coming our way. You and I do not possess the ability to endure the trials and the, and the temptations and the hardships that we are going to be thrown into as a result of our faith in Jesus Christ. So you had better learn how to be strong in the grace of Almighty God because without it you'll fail, but with it all things are possible in Jesus' name. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Listen, we are only as strong as our relationship with the Lord is. Our strength is derived from intimacy with the Lord. Being strong in the grace of God, or literally what that means, being strong in His divine influence upon our heart, only comes in time spent with Him. There are no shortcuts. You can't come to a class and learn how to be strong in the grace of God. Being strong in the grace of God requires you and me to spend large quantities of time alone with God, meditating upon His Word, praying and hiding His Word deep in our hearts, and becoming so convinced in those times alone with Him that no weapon formed against Him can ever prosper, that we leave the prayer closet knowing that we will make it by the power of Almighty God in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name. The best way I can illustrate that for you is to talk about my relationship with my wife. I've I've been with Kathy now for over 34 years. Kathy and I dated for four years. We've been married for 30 years. I have spent incredible time with my wife, intimate times with my wife. I know her. She knows me. 
So much so now that there is a confidence that resides within my heart. I'm going to tell you, I go through a lot in ministry, as many of you would understand, but I go through it with a certain degree of joy because I know at the end of the day, I'm coming home to a wife who loves me, who will counsel me, who will comfort me no matter what I am going through. And I've learned that because of time I've spent with her over the last 34 years. Well, if I feel that way about her, how much more? should I feel that way about my God that as I have spent time with him as he's seen me through storms over these last 45 years or so I have discovered that he will never leave me and he will never forsake me and when I come out of my prayer closet I know that my God is with me Being strong in the grace of God doesn't mean that I utter shazam and all of a sudden I feel power coming into my body. No, it is a confidence that there is nothing too difficult for my God and somehow He'll make a way where there seems to be no other way. Can somebody give God the praise? Some of you today are strong in your money. And that's evident when I talk to you because you can talk intelligently for hours about your investments and you know how much money you're making on your investments and how much money you're going to have at the end when you retire. Some of you, your strength comes from your relationships and your family. Some of you, your strength comes from your title and your position. Some of your strength comes from the government and the Republicans and the Democrats. And some of you find your strength in the eagles. Boy, I feel sorry for you. (laughs) I'm just being funny. But there are some of you that are finding your strength in all the wrong places. What happens when there is a sickness that comes and wipes out your entire retirement in one moment of time? What happens when you lose your title in your position? What happens when your favorite party is voted out of office? What happens when the Eagles lose a Super Bowl again? What happens when your relationships fall apart? I'm going to tell you, if you're not going to fall apart, you better be strong in the grace of Almighty God. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And He'll never lose. We are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody give God the praise. And we are to be strong in His grace so that we might endure hardship. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, it sounds very similar to what we just read. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Our strength is to be in the Lord and it is derived from the power or from the ability of Almighty God. I love this part. In the power of His might. In the power, it's talking about His manifested power. It's not just abstract power. He's talking, about, he's talking about the way that God has manifested His power throughout all time. God has manifested His power in that He spoke the universe into existence with His Word. He has manifested His power in that He opened up the Red Sea and caused the children of Israel to walk across on dry ground. He has manifested His power in that He delivered a Goliath into the hands of a shepherd boy named David. He has manifested His power in being the fourth man in the fire. He has manifested His power in bringing the walls of Jericho down so that the children of Israel could go in and take the city. He has manifested his power in moving upon the virgin womb of Mary and conceiving within her Jesus, the Son of God. And his greatest manifestation of power was when he went into the tomb that first Easter Sunday morning and raised his son up from the dead. And that same power is available to you and I today. You don't have to be defeated. You can live by the grace of God and overcome in all things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them we're more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. And so it is in this strength that we are to endure hardship. And these hardships that we deal with, really, they're any event in our lives that the enemy can use as a tool to resist our faith in Christ. We may not live in a third world country. We may not live in a country that has outlawed the Christian faith. We may not at this point experience any real form of persecution. But we have our share of hardships. Some of you have faced those hardships in your own marriage. 
And I believe in the sanctity of marriage, but some of you are married to a husband or to a wife that is not only not a believer, but they are anti-faith to the point where they have made your life very miserable for your commitment to following Jesus. Some of you have experienced this in your family, some of you at work, some at friendships. There are so many scenarios that we can look at today. But all of us have experienced moments where we met hardship as a direct result of putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone. I think it's important to note here that the enemy is not always the author of the hardship you're going through. Some people don't like that when I say it, but he's not always. If you think he is, then every time your car doesn't start, you're going to think it's the devil. Okay, he's not the author of every hardship that you experience. Men and women have a free will, and for it to be free, they have to be free to exercise that will. And they can resist you. The evil heart of man has no depths of wickedness that it will solicit. We understand that. But where the enemy always is, is in the dark places of those hardships. And he calls into question the love of God and the mercy of God. He uses those experiences to say, where is your God now? If God really loved you, then why would he allow these things to happen? He uses those moments to attack our confidence in God. And that is the battle we're engaged in every day. Just as the lion's den and the fire of the stake and the executioner's blade were instruments in the hands of the enemy to try and get the faithful saints of days gone by to renounce their faith, so the hardships we deal with day in and day out are tools in the hands of the enemy that are intended for us to renounce our faith and our confidence in God and assert our own will rather than remain submitted to God and His plan for us. And so we must endure hardship. But what does enduring hardship look like? How do you know when you are enduring? And what does it mean to endure hardship within your life? And I think that that is kind of where um, Paul will begin to change his, his tune, if you will, a little bit. Um, and, and from just giving the directive of enduring to, uh, hardship and actually under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit offer illustration for that. It's almost as if he said, you know what, enduring hardship could mean many things to many different people. And the Holy Spirit said, I want you to give them three illustrations. I want you to give them three metaphors, if you will, so that they will understand what it looks like. And he offers them right there. He's a great preacher, and preachers are always looking for word pictures and illustrations and metaphors that we can offer to help you understand what these principles look like. And he offers three of them. He says, enduring hardship for a good soldier looks like not being entangled with the affairs of this life. For an athlete, enduring hardship looks like competing according to the rules. And to the farmer, enduring hardship looks like hard work. And I want to look at all three of them with you very quickly here. First of all, enduring hardship for a soldier is not being entangled with the affairs of this life. For a soldier engaged in warfare, Paul says that enduring hardship is not allowing yourself to become entangled with the affairs of this life. Right out of the gate, he said we must endure hardship as good soldiers. Many of you know that this is not the first time that Paul employs militaristic language in order to illustrate spiritual disciplines. Paul's writings literally abound with them. In 1 Timothy 1 and verse 18, Paul said, The charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, beginning at verse 3, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. 
Of course, most famously in Ephesians 6, verses 11 through 13, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes and strategies of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And if we were to go on, you know that he begins to talk about the spiritual disciplines of the believer and he likens them to the Roman armor that a soldier would wear into battle. And there are so many others. This is just a sampling. But there are many other scriptures that Paul wrote and others wrote as well that allude to the rules of engagement, to dealing with order, rank and file and falling into line and being submitted and obedient to those who have authority over our lives. And they are all meant to convey one image and one image only and that is that living on point for Christ is nothing short of a war. That you and I are engaged Every single day in war. Not skirmishes, not battles, but full-on warfare. Paul uses the most graphic words and illustrations of that day to convey to us the intensity with which we must live every day. We are to live with the same intensity that a soldier fights in a war in. We are to have that same mentality. We are engaged in war all the time. Many soldiers through the years have cited Saving Private Ryan, especially those first 15 minutes, as probably the most accurate depiction of what warfare is like. I don't know if you have seen that opening sequence, but it is gruesome to say the least. Imagine that nonstop. That is what Paul says we're engaged in. And that we need to fight with that kind of intensity. I wish in our cushy United States of America that we could pull back this natural materialistic curtain for just a moment and peer into what is happening on a spiritual level. Can I tell you that there is a real heaven, that there is a real hell, and there are real angels, and there are real demons, and there is a struggle going on right now in our warfare. And we need to wake up and understand that we are in a war today. War is madness. They're shedding blood, sweat, and tears. Bodies are maimed. People die. Battles are won. Others are lost. Casualties escalate. War is never pretty. Veterans return from war with permanent disabilities. Children lose their fathers and even their mothers in war. Parents lose their children. Homes and possessions are destroyed in war. There is nothing but devastation, death, and mayhem in war. And if you do not believe that we are in a warfare, I would invite you to sit in my office as I counsel families and husbands and wives. And I will tell you right now that there are men and women who have been permanently disabled because of sin that children have lost their parents and parents have lost their children we are in a war today folks and it's time for us to wake up out of our slumber and put on the armor of God and fight in Jesus mighty name by the way I think it needs to be pointed out here as well that the war that Paul is describing here is not against this world We're not anywhere in Scripture told to become physically violent to try and win people to Jesus Christ. It's important for us to understand that. He's not describing a war against the world because we wrestle not against flesh and blood as we read just a moment ago. As mentioned, we wrestle with spiritual forces. Understand that our stance in this world is to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We are the salt of this earth. We are the ones who are applied to the wounds of our nation and the wounds of the broken heart to promote healing for the glory and for the honor of Almighty God. No, the war that he's actually talking about is the internal struggle 
that we as believers experience as we pass through hardships and challenges that tempt us to go AWOL and defect and abandon Christ in the most critical hours of our days. This is why Paul said in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. Notice he doesn't say fight the good fight for the faith. He says fight the good fight of faith. He's not talking about the faith proper in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's talking about your faith and your confidence. Because every single day those spiritual forces of wickedness are trying to get you and I to defect from the faith. And instead we are to fight the good fight of faith every day through every hardship, through every difficulty and say no it will be worth it all when I stand before the living God and he welcomes me into eternity in Jesus mighty name now there are many characteristics of a good soldier but only one is in Paul's mind here and that is that a good soldier does not entangle himself with the affairs of this life If a soldier allows himself to hold on too tightly in his heart and mind to the civilian world, if he holds on too tightly to his wife, to her husband, to their children, to the concerns of running a home, and they become entangled with those things mentally when they go into battle, that divided heart could prove fatal not only to them but to those who are with them. You know, I was, I was fascinated this week as I was looking at that word entangled. And, and, and as I understand it, that Greek word for entangled there was a word that was used in Paul's day to describe a ram or a goat that got its horns entangled, if you will, in brush or in shrubbery or a tree and could not free itself and as a result became easy prey for a predator. And this is the word that Paul uses here. He says a a soldier cannot mentally become so entangled with this world that they get caught up in that and become a target for the predator. He's saying that the affairs and the cares of this life can entangle our minds and lead us vulnerable to an enemy attack. The Bible tells us very clearly that we are to be sober-minded and vigilant Because our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he devours those who are double-minded. A soldier, no matter how cold it might sound, has to go into battle with single-mindedness. I have to win this battle. I love my wife. I love my husband. I love my children. I love my country. But right now, I've got to lay all of those things aside because there is a war that has to be fought and I have got to win in Jesus' mighty name. I know it's a hard word. But that's what he's saying. You may remember in Luke chapter 8, Uh, Jesus was talking about the the sower and the seed. And he talks about some of the seed that falls by the thorns. And he says, now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. It's a frightening thought. But I'm going to tell you, I see that every week because there are men and women that come to me as I'm out there greeting you as you're leaving And you say to me, Pastor, I needed to hear that word today. You don't know what God's been dealing with me all week about. And you just came in and and you said exactly what I needed to hear. But I'm going to tell you, as soon as you get out of your car, you are already entangled in the affairs of this life again. And that's why the word never bears any fruit. At some point, you got to say, I know I'm living in this world, but I am not of this world. I am in the kingdom of Almighty God and I've got to fight the good fight of faith. 
That's why James said that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Some of you here today, and I love you, but you are trying to find a way to love God and love the world at the same time. But I'm telling you, your heart is too small to love two things at one time. You're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to love that one and hate the other. But you cannot serve the world and Jesus at the exact same time. It is time for us to draw a line and say, and I'm going after God with everything in me in Jesus' mighty name. I'm spending more time on this one. I promise the other two will move quickly. But I want you to, I want you to hear this. Who will ever forget the most provocative words possibly that Jesus ever spoke? When he said in Luke 14 and verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You say, well, he can't possibly mean that. Really? Look what he says next. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? We immediately are repulsed by those opening remarks, and we think, well, that can't be what he possibly meant. But just to make sure we knew he meant exactly that, he said, Who of you would sit down to build a tower or a house without first sitting down and calculating the cost and make sure that you have the ability to finish the work that you start? And he said, for that reason, before you come after me, you need to sit down and count the cost because I'm telling you right now that I'm going to be number one. And if there is anyone that is above me, you cannot be my disciple. Obviously, he wasn't telling us that we have to love or hate our spouses and our children and our families. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying is, I must be supreme. And you better realize going into this that sometimes obedience to me is going to create tension in your marriage. It's going to create tension in your family. It is going to create tension even in your own heart. And I've got to know that when I lead you into battle, I don't have to worry about you going AWOL on me. I need you to know that you're going to make it all the way because you counted the cost in Jesus' name. And I've got to tell you, i to tell you that The hardest day so far, maybe, in my life, and maybe in Kathy's, was the day that we loaded up that rider truck in Mars Hill, Maine, and drove out to Pennsylvania. Because we knew the day we left Maine, that in all likelihood, we would never be coming back. We left the security of our family, of our friends, of that environment, to go and explore the ministry that God had called us into. And it's been hard. And even this last couple of weeks has been harder. Many of you know that my young brother had a, a, a mild heart attack by the grace of God. He's recovering well. No damage was done to his heart. Many of you know my grandmother, 94 years old, just recently took a turn for the worse. And, and even now, we are waiting for that call that she has gone home to be with the Lord. And it's hard enough to have that happen to family. It's even harder when you're hundreds of miles away and you can't go over every day. And you have to be careful about when you go because you may have to turn right around and go back again. You're tormented, you're conflicted. But I'm going to tell you that there hasn't been one day in 30 years that I've regretted because I have found that because I've chased the call of God wherever it has taken me, the Lord has always made a way for us in Jesus' mighty name. That's being a good soldier in Jesus' name. For an athlete, enduring hardship is competing according to the rules. You and I can't take matters into our own hands and play by our own rules when we're up against hardship. We still have to play by the rules laid out in the manual. You know, as I was studying it this week, I discovered that he's not only talking about the rules that govern the game, but even the rules that govern the preparation for those games. 
You know as well as I do that there are not only rules that govern the game or the sport that the athlete competes in, but also there are rules in how you train and even in how you conduct yourself off the field or in our case, off the court. How many athletes have we seen in recent years who have been disqualified because of unethical practices, abusing illegal substances and, and behavior, engaging in behavior that is not becoming to that athlete, whether it was on or off the field or court. Perhaps one of the most talented receivers in the NFL will probably never play again because of behavior that is grotesque, destructive was reading that in order to compete in the Greek day, uh, Greek games of that day, that as an athlete you had, it was mandatory for you to train for 10 months. You had to take an oath to Zeus that the preparations had been done properly and you knew as an athlete that if you lied, there would be a strict punishment enforced. And even today we know that athletes have rules or should have rules. How many times have we seen athletes and even coaches not only ejected from games for flagrant disobedience to rules, not only suspended for a few games or even a season, but they have been banned from the game altogether. In fact, in our lifetime, we have seen records wiped out, wins removed, all because coaches and athletes thought that they were above the rules of that game and they were disqualified completely. The greatest hitter, maybe, of all time will never have that recognition because he broke the rules. Can I tell you, folks, there are rules in how we conduct ourselves as men and women of God, whether on the field or off the field. There are rules that we live by. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have to live our lives properly before God. And I hate how grace in this hour is being being murdered. How it is being distorted even in the body of Christ where we get this idea that because I'm saved by grace and not by works that I'm free to live any way I want to. That I'm free to make up the rules as I see fit. No, 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 no. Your Bible is clear that we do not live like everyone else lives. If you don't believe me, I would challenge you to go home this afternoon and read Matthew 5, 6, 7, which includes for us the Sermon on the Mount, which is nothing more than a celebration of the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament. And even now, some pastors are are undermining the Sermon on the Mount, saying that what Jesus was saying is, don't try to live by this anymore because you can't. But anybody that reads it understands that he is saying, no, this is how I'm calling you to live. This is the attitude that you are to walk with. You are to forgive those who persecute you and pray for those who despise you. Your marriages are supposed to be different. How you pray is supposed to be different than the religious men and women. You are not to go after all the things that the Gentile world goes after, but you are to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all of these other things will be added unto you. There are laws, there are rules that we must live by not to be saved, but as evidence that we are saved for the glory and for the honor of God. We don't live like everyone else. We don't talk like everyone else. We don't walk where they walk and go where they go. We're in a marathon, and we must run in such a way that we win the prize. In Jesus' name. I love Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, maybe you would say in circular motion like they run in track. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. He's talking about shadow boxing. He says, but instead I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. 
What a powerful word. Paul says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? If you are a child of God today, you are running a race. But you're not running against each other. We're not running against each other. We all have our individual race to run. If you're competing against anyone, it's yourself. You're running against your will. You're running against your dreams and your desires and pursuing the dreams of God for your life. We are to run in such a way that we may obtain it, that we may win the prize. And we do this by being temperate in all things. Athletes don't eat like the rest of us do. They don't train like the rest of us do because they want to win. God help us to get a winning attitude in the body of Christ so that we're temperate in all things. If an athlete can do it for a crown that's going to perish, then how much more should we do for everlasting life in Jesus' name? Paul said, daily I beat my body into submission because I do not want to find myself disqualified in the end. And in hardship, you're going to be tested because you're going to, you're going to be tempted to get outside of the rules of this game. Don't. Stand fast. Compete properly and win. In Jesus' name. And then in last... For the farmer, enduring hardship is being hardworking. For the farmer, enduring hardship is being hardworking. Being a good farmer means really two things. And it's hard work and patience. I grew up in an agricultural town. Potatoes were the cash crop in the town that I grew up in. Surrounded by farms and farmers. And I know this. Working as a farmer is hard work. It's early mornings, it's late nights, and very long days. And there is a tremendous amount of patience in being a good farmer because you have to be patient for the proper time to plant. You have to be patient as it's growing. And you have to be patient in waiting for the proper time to harvest. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is when we are going through hardship, it's going to take hard work and patience. Hard work not to be saved because we're saved by grace and not of works. Can you say amen to that? I'm thankful. But that doesn't mean that it's not going to take some hard work getting through hardship. People will say, it's so hard, Pastor Kurt. Well, that's why they call it hardship. Did you think it was going to be easy? It's hard work. And it takes patience because few storms I have been in lasted for only a few hours. Most of them last days and weeks and months and years. Can I tell you, depending on your storm, it may even be a lifetime. It's hard work and it takes patience. And that's why James says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. How I would love to tell you that if you have enough faith and you send, not your favorite preacher, hopefully I'm your favorite preacher, that you would send me $1,000 that all your problems would go away. But I'm not going to lie to you. There's no easy way out of hardship. It's hard work and patience. But you hold on. Christ is coming. In Jesus' name. I don't know. I had to point this out very quickly. I don't know if you noticed, but in all three of those, there is a special promise that is made. I don't know if you noticed it. Each one had a special promise. The soldier is promised that not being entangled with the affairs of this life, he will please him who enlisted him. And I'm going to tell you what should be carrying the day for every believer is not the absence of hardship. It is coming to the end of that hardship and hearing the still small voice of the Lord say, Well done, 
faithful servant. That should carry the day. It's not what people think about me. It's just hearing the Father say, you did it right. Well done, son. Well done, daughter. To the athlete, it is promised that if he competes according to the rules, he will be crowned the victor. I don't know if you know this, but all through the New Testament, crowns are seen as the rewards that are given to faithful saints at the end of the age. Write these down. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 talks about a crown of incorruption. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19 speaks of the crown of rejoicing. 2 Timothy 4 verse 8 is the crown of righteousness. 1 Peter 5 and verse 4 is the crown of glory. And James 1 and verse 12 is referring to the crown of life along with Revelation 2 and verse 10. And if you go and you research them, you will find that these are all crowns that are given to faithful men and women when we see him face to face. If you play by the rules, he will reward you one day in Jesus' name. And then I love the last one. I love this one maybe of all of them. The farmer is promised that if he is hardworking, he will be the first to partake of the crops. You know, At the very end, Paul says, may the Lord give you understanding in this. So he knew that there was some ambiguity here. And even as I studied this, commentators really don't know what he was saying there. But you know what it said to me? If I have been a hardworking, patient farmer, when the famine comes, I don't have to worry about where my next meal is coming from. Because it's in the storehouse. And I've got food to get my family through the famine. In Jesus' name. I'm going to tell you, if you're hardworking and you are patient in every hardship, you are storing up treasures for yourself that when the difficult times come, you'll never be hungry. God will see you through it. In Jesus' name. Friday night, the family was over and we were having dinner together. My dad called me. My grandmother cannot communicate now, but she can hear everything. And so they put the phone up to her ear and we all went around the table and said what we needed to say. We don't know when this is coming, but we, we wanted to make sure that we said what needed to be said. The night was last and I just share with her my thanks for raising us up in the faith of her constant prayers throughout my life and ministry. And there was a strange peace that came over my heart and over my life. And yes, I grieve at the idea of losing my precious grandmother. But there is a hope that is there. I'm thankful my life didn't fall apart and I had to pick up the phone and call people. Come on, I don't know how I'm going to make it through it. I made it through it, not because I'm the greatest believer, but because for well over 47 years or whatever, I have been serving the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, when you need Him the most, He's there in Jesus' mighty name. Be patient. Be hardworking. He'll never fail you i got to close this up. Come on up, team. i got to say this one more thing. <laughs> as I was looking at this list, as I was looking at this list the other day, an old song from my childhood came, my Sesame Street days. <laughs> Seriously, I'm looking at this list, and the song that comes to my mind is, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. There is. There's one on this list that stands out from the other two. Which one do you think it is? It's the farmer. There is a deep connection between soldiers and athletes. But a farmer's different. Um, Farming is a very noble profession, if you will, and trade. But let's be honest, not a lot of glory in being a farmer. Most people don't 
aspire to be a farmer one day. Usually farms are passed on to children. It's a family trade. You pass it from one generation to the next. I highly doubt that a a, a child growing up in L.A. is thinking, I can't wait to be a farmer one day. It just doesn't happen. But there's glory in being a warrior. There's glory in being an athlete. If you don't believe me, how many movies do you have on your shelf right now? How many books do you have on your shelf that celebrate war and, and soldiers that stood out among others? And how many books and how many movies do you have, again, in your entertainment shelf that celebrate the, the life of an athlete and sporting events? that have changed our country? How many movies have you ever been to that celebrated farming? How many books do you have on celebrated farmers in U.S. history? No glory being a farmer. I think it was the Holy Spirit's way of saying, Paul, you better tell Timothy there's no glory in being a hard-working, patient servant. Unless they all get caught up in the glory of being a good soldier and being a, a competitive athlete, I want you to remind them that my children should not be seeking glory. They should be seeking to glorify me. Let me just tell you, if you're faithful and patient chances are you'll never show up on the cover of People magazine. Chances are the paparazzi are not going to be camping outside of your house to follow you throughout your day to find out what you're wearing, what shoes you're wearing, um, where you had lunch. But God notices you. But He's watching you. And if you'll keep working hard and you'll be patient, you'll read because Paul said let us not grow weary while doing good for a new season we shall reap if we do not lose heart in Jesus name what a mighty God we serve come on give him all the praise in this house bless the Lord let's stand to our feet here today come on can you lift up your hands to the Lord Come on, lift up your hands, lift up your voices and magnify Him together. Let's worship Him. Hallelujah.